So as we've talked about a couple times, it, it's Thanksgiving week. That is insane for me to think about. It, it does not feel like it's Thanksgiving week, but that means it is turkey time. I might be a very strange person in that turkey might be my absolute favorite thing to eat. Like it is, I eat turkey legit probably four to five times a week. So much. I have a, you look shocked. <laughs> no, I have turkey sandwiches most days for lunch, turkey tacos, turkey burgers, turkey, I, I'll, mix, I'll make turkey taco meat, mix it with my eggs in the morning. It, it, it's ridiculous. And yes, we do bake a full like Thanksgiving style turkey probably two to three times a year because I just love turkey. But that is enough of my turkey exception. But with it being Thanksgiving week, this morning I thought it would be fun for us to explore one example of a feast of Thanksgiving here today from the Hebrew Scriptures, from our Old Testament, and just explore how this idea continues forward to us today. Now the feast we're going to be talking about is, comes from the book of Esther. Now Esther might be one of my favorite biblical characters. Esther is really awesome. If you have never sat down and read the entire book, I would highly encourage you to do it. You could do it in one longer setting, maybe, maybe two, but it's, it is a really, really good story. I would highly encourage you to do that if you've never done it before. But today, we obviously don't have time to do all that. I would love to go through the entire book. So you're going to get the, the four-minute truncated version of Esther, because what we're going to be talking about happens at the end, so we kind of need to know the story that leads up to it. So the book of Esther is set in Mesopotamia. I've got my little pointer over here. Oh, my pointer dead. Oh, my pointer's dead. Well, yeah. Set over here. So the city of Babylon, you have Jerusalem over there. Yeah, over there. Okay, up and around. So we're set in Babylon over here. During this time, the king of the empire, the Persian king, is a dude named Xerxes. Now, Xerxes, the book, the book opens with Xerxes deposing is the kindest way to say it, his current wife. He gets rid of his current wife. She upsets him. She's gone. Xerxes needs a new queen. So he sets up a beauty contest to see who would be the next king or the next queen. Now, it was compulsory. You, you had to turn out for it. You didn't have a choice in it. But in the end, the contest is won by our title character, Esther. And things are going well. Things are going fine. But then... One of Xerxes' advisors, a dude named Haman, he gets, fight is a strong word, has a little argument with someone. And Haman loses the argument and doesn't take it very well. And so decides, you know what? That dude I just lost this argument with is Jewish. I'm killing all the Jews. Like, right, like, <laughs> that's a normal, normal person's reaction, right, to feeling slighted by someone, not going straight to genocide. So that's what Haman does. He convinces Xerxes to go along with his plan. Basically tells Xerxes, like, hey, this, this group of people, they're not really part of our empire, and I think they're working against us. And so Xerxes says, like, well, no, I have to protect the empire. So, yes, let's get rid of these people. So they cast lots, meaning they basically, it's the equivalent of rolling dice. Most of the time it's stones and such. So basically, they got a big pot full of D20s, they rolled for initiative, and they figured out the day on which this clandestine, secret, genocidal attack was going to happen. All, everything set in motion. Luckily, someone finds out about this. 
the Jewish priest Mordecai. He hears about this plan, obviously not happy about it, right? Understandable. Then he remembers, wait, my cousin's Esther. My cousin's the queen. This has to help us somehow, right? So he goes to Esther, explains the situation to her, and she decides she has to help. And so she comes up with this plan. She's just going to basically ask the king, hey, how about you not kill everyone? But Xerxes isn't a fan of not killing. He is a renowned killer. And so she comes up with this idea of, I need to get him in the best mood possible to do this. I need him just absolutely happy for me to even try this. So, so she decides, I'm going to put on a series of feasts, give him like the best food he's ever had, and that'll put him into a good mood to not want to kill everyone. So she starts this plan. She goes and invites him to a feast. Now, that doesn't seem like a super dangerous thing, right? Going and inviting someone to a feast, going and inviting your spouse to dinner. Not, not so much for Esther. At this time, at the Persian Empire, no one was allowed to go see the king uninvited. No one. Not even the queen, not even Xerxes' wife, was allowed to go uninvited to see the king. If you do, there's a real good chance you were going to be killed. Because again, Xerxes is a huge fan of killing. I mean, I'm someone that I like my alone time, but this is a little harsh, killing anyone who comes to disturb their alone time. Harsh. But Esther goes through with her plan. She goes, she enters the court, invites him to dinner, Luckily, not killed immediately. Xerxes likes his plan. He's like, yes, I like feasting. I like food. So agrees, and so these feasts are start happening. After a few of them, as things are winding down, she eventually tells Xerxes, her husband, that she is, in fact, Jewish, which I think kind of gives you a dynamic for their relationship and all just the social economics act, the fact that her husband didn't even know her nationality, really knew nothing about her. But the king does relent and says, oh, no, like, if, if I kill all the Jews, then I have to kill you, too. I don't want to do that, so no, this is, this is off. And he, this, the plan, or what was the plan, the real side of the plan slowly starts to come out, and Xerxes realizes, like, wait, Haman, this this guy just was doing this because of some personal beef. This actually hurts my empire. He was trying to trick me into killing a pretty good percentage of my subjects. Again, fan of killing, Haman gets killed. All, all the people involved in this plan, they, they pay for it. But the plan is averted, the people are saved, thus feasting. Yeah, that was a super long intro. But I think it was important for us to kind of understand roughly what was happening so that when we get to today, the past for today, we're in the aftermath of those events. We kind of know what's going on here. So I will read our passage real quick. So our passage is Esther 9, starting in verse 20. Mordecai wrote these things down and sent letters to the Jews in all the provinces near and far of King Ahasuerus. That's just Xerxes transliterated, so Xerxes, same person. 
uh, he made it a rule to keep the Jews, that the Jews keep the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar as a special day each and every year. They are the days on which the Jews finally put to rest their troubles with their enemies. The mouths, the month, sorry, the mouths, the month is one in which everyone, everything turned around from them, from sadness to joy, from sad, loud crying into a holiday. They are to make the days of feast, joyful events, days to send food gifts to each other and money gifts to the poor. The Jews agreed to continue what they had already begun to do, just what Mordecai had written to them. So this section sets up the well-known two-day feast or festival and plants it in the time of Esther. They, the passage goes on to name this feast Purim, coming from the Semitic root meaning to roll, in kind of making play on that idea of rolling dice, casting lots, kind of going back to that idea. So that, that's where the festival gets its name. Now, one thing that I think is very interesting about this festival, what is it supposed to be? If we look, it's supposed to be a time of celebration of relief, a time to celebrate joy coming out of sorrow, a time to celebrate mourning turning into celebration, a day of feasting, a day of remembrance, a day of joy. Now, what I think is maybe even more interesting is what is this day not supposed to be? What is this day not doing? It is not a celebration of the death of Haman or Haman's cronies. It is not a celebration of a great victory, of a great personal victory, of a great military victory, which it easily could be, right? Because all of those things happen. All those things are worth remembering. But look at the dates of it. Scholars point out to this as a very important facet. So the day that was appointed for the destruction of the people was the 13th. Going back to that, that's one of the reasons why you get Friday the 13th, having these bad connotations. That and lots of other reasons, but this is kind of one of them. Purim is set on the 14th and 15th. Why is this significant? Well, it's significant because if it was going to be a celebration of the victory, of the day itself, the event, it would be set on the 13th. Think of some of our holidays, 4th of July, Armistice Day, they're set on the days of these big victories, of these events. This isn't what this is supposed to be commemorating or celebrating, because it's set on the 14th and 15th. It symbolizes that this is a celebration of life. It, sim it, it symbolizes that the people, despite everything, all the best effort of their people, woke up on the 14th, all still alive when if things had gone the other way, they all would have been dead. They lived past their appointed time of death. So this holiday focuses on the positive aspects of life, the gifts of life. Now, kind of think about all these festivals together, kind of bring them together. Shapuram is a communal celebration. There's feasting, there's remembrance, there's coming together, there's thankfulness. This sounds a lot like Thanksgiving, doesn't it? And this idea of a celebratory feast, of coming together to remember to be thankful, is not just an isolated incident here. It's part of this massive pattern that runs throughout the entire biblical story. You have festivals like the Feast of Unleavened Bread or Passover. It's a celebration which remembers God's delivering the people out of Egypt, 
the sparing of the firstborn children, the removal of slavery. There's another one, the Festival of Booths, which is an annual feast that thanks God for sustaining them through another year, through sustaining crops, through giving them provisions to last another year. Even the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper. This was a, a Passover meal, but here it establishes the Lord's Supper as a supreme act, the celebration meal, right? Because each time we sit down and eat, eat the bread, drink the cup, we remember how Christ freed us from death. It's a celebration of our eternal life. So when you pick up on this thread running throughout the Bible, it, it's really easy to see how Thanksgiving, how this coming Thursday, really fits in with this long-running tradition. A day set aside for reflection, for remembering, for feasting, and for being thankful. And I think it's really cool that something we do today really stretches back so, so far. However, it did get me thinking of this other idea too. Why? Why are there so many appointed days, especially in the Hebrew Bible, for being thankful, that are set aside for the express purpose of feasting and being thankful? Because once I saw this theme running through, it's kind of hard to unsee. So why? I did a decent amount of reading on this subject and came up with, found an interesting study. In 2011, University of California, Cal Poly, they conducted a study. They got participants and they broke them up into three different groups. So A, B, C. Group A was told every night before you go to bed, write down a list of everything you were thankful for that day, every good thing that happened to you. Group B was told every night when you go to bed, write down everything that annoyed you that day. And group C was just told to journal. They weren't given a direction one way or the other. Before the study started, they were given a kind of litany of physical and emotional and mental examinations. They were, you know, they were weighed, their blood pressure was taken, they were run through a gamut of tests. They run this study for 10 weeks. Brand new everything they're thankful for, everything that upset them, no direction. At the end of the 10 weeks, they did all the medical evaluations again, and they found group A, the group that wrote down things they were thankful for that day, ended up having better numbers in almost every single one of the categories. Nearly all of them lost weight. Nearly all of them had their blood pressure go down. On the mental exhaustion test they took, all of their numbers were better. Second group, the exact opposite. All of their numbers went down. They had all gained weight. Their blood pressure had all gone up. All of their, their mental exhaustion numbers went up. Group C, remained about the same. There was no significant change one way or the other. So this study seems to suggest that the intentional, purposeful act of being thankful can have significant benefit to us, can actually be for our good. And this is interesting to think about when you pair it alongside of the fact that God doesn't need our praise. God doesn't need us to be thankful, right? There was this idea in the ancient Near East around the time of the Old Testament that gods did need this. Other cultures had this idea that your praises, offerings, actually went up and was what sustained the gods. The gods actually physically ate them. That's how they survived. Not so with our God. Not so with Yahweh. That was never an idea. Our God does not need our praise, our thanks, 
God certainly enjoys it, right? But it isn't something that is needed. But we need our thankfulness. It seems to benefit us. For the ingrained desire to come together, to feast, to reminisce, to be thankful is really for our benefit. It's open to this idea of like a thanksgivingception, right? Like we should be thankful for the opportunity to be thankful because that, that act is helping us, and in turn, we should be thankful for that. So like that's a really cool idea in and of itself. Now, before I close out, I do want to address one thing. I know sometimes it can be extremely hard to be thankful. If you are in the midst of something awful, of a really bad season in your life, you might not feel like you want or even can be thankful. And to that, I just want to say, like, that's okay. Do not feel like you are a bad person or that you are betraying God in any way, because you're not. It is okay to feel upset. It is okay to feel angry. We could do an entire sermon series on that, and we probably should at some point. But for today, I just want to acknowledge that truth, that sometimes you are in a moment where you don't know how to feel thankful. And hearing an entire message on the benefits and why you should be thankful while you are in the teeth of tribulation, of trials, of hard times, that, that can be rough. I understand that. And to that, I want to point out the people in the story we read today, just the generic people in the Esther story. They didn't necessarily start celebrating until they had been saved. In the midst of their danger, they weren't feasting, they were fasting. They weren't celebrating, they were crying, they were wailing, they were ripping their clothes in anguish. And that's sometimes okay. You don't have to pretend to be thankful. It's dark now. You don't have to pretend to be thankful just, to, just because it is Thanksgiving. Now, I think being thankful, as we talked about, can be amazing and great, but I don't want you to feel like you have to, to be a good person, to be a good Christian. If you are in a season of pain and sorrow, that's okay. Because 2021 has been a rough year. I think for a lot of people, they thought 2020 was going to be a rough year. Almost everyone I've talked to, 2021 has been a worse year. So it, it's okay. We will go through these ups and downs of these seasons. But I just wanted to make that known, that if you are in a place that is, you just are having the hardest time finding that emotion to be thankful, you're not alone, and that's okay. God is with you and God understands. As you're gathering together, as you're doing whatever you're doing on Thursday, as you're, you're eating your pie, telling stories, reminiscing, know you are following in a long line of people celebrating and people being thankful. Try not to take this day for granted, if at all possible. Try not to get bogged down in the little details of the day. Are there going to be lumps in your gravy? There's the spice and the, the stuffing not quite right. All right, quick show. Who says stuffing and who says dressing? Stuffing? stuffing. Who says dressing? All right, all right, all right. I say dressing because I don't stuff it in the bird. It's baked aside. <laughs> but whatever you're doing, if, 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 you know, 
your dressing doesn't come quite right, or, oh, turkey, you're a little dry, pumpkin pie, I'm not sure what's going on. Try not to let that distract from the day. Because ultimately, that's not what matters. What matters, focus on what matters, and what matters is this day, the time. Remember that we are following and living in a long tradition of feasting and thankfulness. Remember that God cares enough for us to specifically set aside times and days to be thankful, to recover, to sit. Remember that the actual act of coming together, of eating, can be, and being thankful is good for us. Remember the story of Esther. If you are able, take advantage of this wonderful opportunity. Think back on, your, on times in your life when your sorrow has become joy, when you have found relief. I don't know what that'll look like for you in, in particular. For the people in the story of Esther, it was their very lives. It could be something like that for you. It could be something like a job, a grade on a paper, a person coming into your life, even a person who's no longer in your life that is better for you now. It could be anything. Try, if you are able, to take the time to remember and be thankful. Remember that being thankful is good for you. It will benefit you in some form. So if you are able, please do not let the wonderful gift that is this Thanksgiving season pass you by. Stand with me as we pray.